0: Are you someone you know battling cancer? Welcome to Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carlfeld, where you get to be part of a live consultation with a patient diagnosed with cancer. I was never close to my father. In fact, I found out that he passed away from colon cancer six months after he died. I never got to be with him during his struggle. This podcast and the cutting edge integrative cancer therapies I offer at my center are my chance to do what I didn't get to do for my father. Tune in as I get to know the struggles and victories of my guests while battling cancer. We will discuss natural medicine and how it can safely be integrated into traditional oncology care. You are not alone in your struggle. Well, welcome to Integrative Cancer Solution with Dr. Carl Felt. I wanted to take another episode just to go through some things. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about tests, tests that you can use to monitor your progress, to see how your treatment, how successful they are. Because that always becomes a challenging thing with cancer is that you don't know what's brewing underneath and you want to have ways to monitor that. And you can't always do CAT scans all the time, PET scans. Uh, because here you're exposing yourself to things that are cancer-causing. So if there are certain tests that can be useful during your treatment and also when you're post-treatment, uh, just to kind of check in and make sure that there's nothing that is uh, possibly Possibly rising up. And obviously, you know, sad to say, I, I wish it was this one test that is the, the best indicator. And this is if we do this one test, we know for sure that we don't have any cancer, or we know for sure that cancer is there. There just is no such a test. So that's why it's important to look at a, a number of different tests and do them all. I would actually suggest doing them all together in order to be able to. Uh, More successfully keep in uh, keep in touch with what's going on uh, in regard to your cancer. So let's go. These are some of the tests here that I do pretty much for all my cancer patients, and and these are just normal. We're going to start with some normal tests that's easy easy to do. You know, in addition to obviously CBC and CMP, you know, complete. Uh, blood count and then also comprehensive metabolic panel, yeah, complete blood count that checks on your red blood cells, white blood cells, hemoglobin, hematocrit, platelets. You, know, you, you want to make sure that they are doing okay, especially while you're undergoing chemo because uh, chemo tends to then uh, impact your what, white blood cell count. Uh, and then also your hemoglobin, and if they go too low, uh, then you need to hold off with your chemo. So uh, there are strategies that you can use in order to be able to keep them up as you undergo uh, traditional care. But yeah, so that that is important to monitor. And then also we have uh, the comprehensive metabolic panel, where you can then check your your liver status, your kidney function, uh, your different electrolytes, you know, like calcium potassium, sodium, chloride, uh, which are really important. So those are just very standard tests and things that you can add in addition to that uh, would be the LDH or lactated hydrogenase. Uh, when you talk about cancer, uh, one of the things that it does is that it uses a fermentation cycle in order to gain energy. So that process is called a glycolysis, you know, which uses and ferments sugar uh, in order to be able to gain the energy instead of driving energy through the mitochondria uh, using oxygen, you know, which is a much more efficient way to produce energy. But the fermentation process that the cancer cell use, even though it's not as efficient, it, it has a lot of benefits for uh, cancer because it produces a number of byproducts that uh, support the uh, immediate environment of the cell and promote cancer around itself. So it supports its growth, so to say, even though it's not very efficient. So LDH or lactate dehydrogenase, that lab will then kind of show how, uh, show the glycolytic activity of the tumor. Uh, So uh, if there's, you have more tumor burden, you will then see more of this glycolytic activity. So as LDH is increasing, then that means that the tumor is progressing. And it also measures things like tumor necrosis, you know, due to hypoxia or due to a low levels of oxygen within the tumor, uh, which happens because as the tumor is growing, blood vessels can't go into its inner core. So you're going to see. And so it's going to be a hypoxic, and you are not going to, uh, and it's going to be necrotic, meaning that it's dead tissue. And uh, so if LDH is increasing due to you know, the necrotic tissue when you're hypoxic or the tissue is hypoxic there, that, that's usually a sign of pre-high tumor burden. Uh, then we have inflammatory markers like C, C-reactive protein or CRP, and uh, And what scientists have found is that cancer is more likely to develop in chronically inflamed organs. So in areas of inflammation, that promotes cancer growth. And I always say that there is no cancer without inflammation before it. So uh, unsurprisingly, then high levels of uh, C-reactive proteins been linked to uh, increased risk of developing cancer. So uh, that is a really good one then to monitor as well. And, and these are just good ones to run just once in a while just to, Kind of keep an eye on uh, making sure that that inflammation is not increasing, and that you are not at in as big of a risk. And as I said, the, again, I want to reiterate, there is no test that is a be, a be all, yeah, you know, end all type of test. And uh, so they did a kind of a large study cohort of different type of solid, uh, solid tumors and they saw that the the risk of death was clinically and statistically significantly greater with a high C-reactive protein. So When you have people or patients with a number of different tumors uh, across the board, you had a worse outcome or uh, the likelihood of the outcome not being so great it is worse with a higher C-reactive protein. So again, working on your inflammation, and there are a lot of nutritional strategic steps you can take uh, to do that, uh, means that you are then increasing your likelihood of a better outcome. So that's really cool to know. And they've, they've seen even in apparently healthy uh, people, you know, high levels have been linked to an increased risk of things like colon cancer, lung cancer, uh, and just cancer in, in general. Interesting enough, uh, breast and prostate cancer was excluded in that. And uh so it, it is kind of a appropriate timely investigation of patients with these raised inflammatory markers, may then help to improve the early detection of, of cancer. Another test, you know, that is so that was C-reactor protein or CRP. Another test is called ESR, or another name for it is uh, it's sometimes called sedrate. Yeah, and the ESR stands for erythrocyte sedimentation rate, uh, ESR. And uh, so when you experience inflammation, what happens with your red blood cells is that they tend to cling together, you know, forming these clumps. And this clumping effect, effects and the rate at which these red blood cells, uh, they, how they sink inside a tube where a blood sample is placed. So the, this test then lets a doctor uh, see kind of how much clumping that is incurring and the faster and further the cells sink towards the bottom of a test and uh, the more likely it is that inflammation is present so uh, so this test can then identify and measure inflammation general in your body so sed rate and uh, c reactive protein those are good tests to check then your inflammation levels and again inflammation is directly connected to cancer Fibrinogen is another thing that I test, and fibrinogen plays an important role in blood coagulation, cell-to-cell adhesion, and also the inflammatory response. And What they've seen is that elevated fibrinogen promotes cancer cell growth, progression, and metastases, and plasma fibrinogen levels have been associated with tumor size, tumor invasion and lymph node metastases in patients with a number of different cancers. So you can see how important it is to then check your fibrinogen level, especially since it is this important when you're dealing with cancer. I mean, it has, talking about cancer cell growth, progression, metastases, and obviously that's pretty important to know. So then we have another thing that I test frequently or pretty much all the time. is your ferritin levels, so your blood levels, of ferritin uh, increases in malignancy and also uh, the high levels associated with poor survival in a number of different uh, cancers. Ferritin is a multifunctional protein uh, with possible roles in proliferation, androgenesis, immunosuppressant, uh, immunosuppression, and iron delivery. So Obviously, if ferritin is high, that means that uh, there's a higher risk of proliferation, which we don't want. Angiogenesis is the blood supply, or blood vessel creation around the cancer. And in order for the cancer to grow and thrive, it needs a lot of blood vessels. So if we stop blood vessels from growing, Then cancer cannot survive because it's not going to get food in order to be able to grow and and then it will die. Ferritin also connected to immunosuppression, and that's that's another important aspect when a cancer is developing, is that it needs to be able to suppress the immune system in its immediate environment in order to be able to grow. So ferritin is directly associated with that, and also iron delivery. So Cancer cells need a number of things in or things that it uses to grow, and it likes iron. So ferritin will then help with the delivery of this iron to cancer cells uh, and that will then feed the cancer also making it grow. So a higher ferritin level means a higher risk of cancer. And uh, so in regards to cancer then ferritin is detected at high levels in the blood of many cancer patients, and the higher levels correlate with aggressive disease and poor clinical outcome. so And also ferritin is highly expressed in tumor-associated macrophages, which have been recently recognized as having critical roles in tumor progression and therapy resistance. So again, if you want to make sure that your therapy is beneficial and that uh, you're going to be able to, uh, yeah, it's going to have an impact on your cancer, then you want to make sure that you control the ferritin levels and uh, and also you can then kind of see how good you're going to do with it. Then we have another test that's also easy to do called CEA, and that stands for carcinoembryonic antigen, you know CEA. And uh, so it obviously measures the levels of that in your blood and, uh, and it's an indicator whether cancer is growing or spreading or diminishing with treatment. So it's a great one. All these are great to follow as you are then uh, getting treated so that you can then see how how you're responding to treatment. But then, as I mentioned, also uh, after you are in remission, it is good to do these tests to make sure that you're still in remission. So uh, you may be tested before treatment to set a baseline level, which is a good thing to do. And then again, during and after treatment, just to kind of monitor that. So typically low level indicates a small tumor that hasn't spread elsewhere in the body. A high level may correspond to a larger tumor or cancer that has spread or metastasized to one or more location away from the original site. So results may be compared with levels taken during and after treatment as a way to better understand how the cancer is responded to treatment. So, so this is, would be a really good one to do. Uh, test results that drop during treatment indicate therapy is helping, and levels that remain high show treatment probably hasn't curbed the cancer. So we may want to go in a different direction in regards to uh, uh, the treatment. And uh, so, with this one, though, it's, it's good to understand the CA blood level may be increased in a number of non cancerous conditions as well. So, that's why it's good to have then a baseline and then during and after treatment so that you can measure apples with apples. Then, we are going into other types of tests that may not be as easily available. I mean the the first one here you uh, it shouldn't be that hard to get, and that's just the number of natural killer cells. Uh, there is a test where you can then check for their activity, which becomes even more useful because you have you can have a lot of natural killer cells and uh, but they may all be sleeping, and they may not be very active. So uh, you want to be able to measure that as well, and that that makes it even more accurate. So natural killer cells, uh, what they do, uh, they're they're pretty much one of our best weapons against cancer because they lock onto the infected site or the cancer cell and release perforin causing the infected cell or the cancer cell to lice or to kind of break down and die. So the, the perforin that it releases, it actually creates holes within the membrane of of these cells or within the mitochondria so that additional enzymes can be used just to break it down so if we're not able to create these holes we aren't able to inject it with these enzymes that breaks it down and and kill it off and they also secrete certain cytokines which are chemicals that activate other parts of the immune system that also go after the cancer so They are fantastic in killing cancer. In fact, one natural killer cell can kill 27 cancer cells before dying. So we really want to make sure that we take care of these cancers, uh, the natural killer cells. And there are certain things that will suppress the activity of these natural killer cells. So uh, we want to make sure that we, we don't do that. We want to take care of them very well. And then we're going to go into some other uh, tests that uh, is not as uncommon. One that I like a lot that we do at our center called chronic inflammatory test. And in essence, what that is the urine test. And I like that one a lot in regards to testing the inflammation. Uh, Sometimes things do not show up in the CRP, C reactive protein, or the SED rate. Uh, But the chronic inflammatory test is a really good way of tracking. Uh, whether your inflammation is increasing and decreasing. And that tends to correlate strongly with how you're doing in your treatment. And it's an inexpensive uh, urine test to send into a lab and uh, and they get the results from that. Then we also have what's called circulating tumor cells. And uh, we all know that the majority of people die from cancer that are metastasizing. So when they move from the original site to some other location. So, uh, and to test then the circulating tumor cells that allows us then to see how much of a risk of metastases are, are we looking at? So if there are are none, that means that that's extremely low. And if it's a high amount, that means that there's, there's a lot of stuff moving and, and growing in other places. So, and uh, there are a couple of tests that I like. You know, one is called RGCC, uh, also known as the Greek test. And uh, that one measures then yeah, the circulating tumor cells, but it also has some other benefits uh, along with it, is that it will also then check what kind of genetic uh, mutations are you dealing with? You know, what kind of cancer markers? You know, is it high level of mTOR? Is it high levels of VEGF? You know, these are different cancer drivers that you can then uh, match that with therapies that will then address these different components. You can also, if you have an oncologist that's willing to look at, in regard to the, uh, the chemotherapeutic uh, suggestions, you know, what they do is that they uh, test the chemotherapy and see how effective it is against these circulating tumor cells against this cancer. And that can be very useful because you are then able to say, and see which one is the most effective. You may have a hard time to uh, to convince your oncologist that this is the chemotherapy that you would want him to use because they usually don't like to take orders. <laughs> they usually know, I mean, obviously they're experienced, they're trained, and they've done this many times, but it is nice if you can find somebody that feel that this uh, type of information is of great value another component of this test and and so there're different layers of this test so you don't have to do all of these aspects tests you can just measure the circulating tumor cells and that's one cost you know not as much but if you choose to do everything then obviously that costs more so last component of the test is that it will then test the cancer cells the circulating tumor cells against natural agent you know like mistletoe vitamin c artichinate and then see which one of them will have then a direct kill on these different cells if you put them together in in a tube or so. And that is also extremely useful. The, The only caveat with that is that a lot of these natural agents, they will then have an impact on the body in so many other ways other than just direct contact. And so you may have things that are stimulating the like I mentioned, natural killer cell production or may uh, reduce a number of inflammatory markers or can reduce the activity of VEGF or mTOR or so forth. So it may have an impact in all these areas, but may not then, but not have as strong of a direct kill. So just because a supplement doesn't look like it is uh, beneficial on that test, I still wouldn't count it out. You know, I would still, I would kind of, keep that I mean, I, I would look at you know, the ones that do have a direct kill and then include them, but then consider other ones as well. And uh, so that is the RGCC, also known as the Greek test because it's out of Greece. Then we have another one that I like to use. Uh, it's mainly just for the circulating tumor cells, and that's a test that is uh, here in the United States, and that's just out of convenience. I, I like that. Uh, so test these circulating tumor cells, a number of other things, uh, cancer markers are looked at as well. Uh, not as extensive as the RGCC, but the nice thing is that it's just faster, and also you don't have that long transport time, and that you're not sure what what's happening then to your to the blood sample, how viable it is, and so forth. Then a couple of things that a, a number of practitioners do, we we do that at my center, the Carl Center. One is live blood cell analysis. And what you do there is that you take a little drop of blood, put it under a microscope, and then you get to look at the health of the red blood cells, at the white blood cells. So it's like a, a tissue sample. And obviously, if the cells look healthy and, and more vibrant, you are more likely to survive. If the Red blood cells are the membranes are are quite destroyed they are there maybe be infected. You can see them having different like bacteria or parasite in them uh, they may be all you know stacked together, so the membranes are very inflamed. Then you know that uh, that person is going to have a rougher time, and we need to uh, nutritionally do something in order to be able to uh, create a better blood picture because you have to remember that even though uh, you have the cancer, you have more healthy cells and cancer cells, you need red blood cells to be healthy, to transport oxygen into the different areas of the body for this other healthy cells to function optimally. If your red blood cells not able to transport oxygen, you know those areas become hypoxic and uh, or the, lo- the oxygen levels are, are low which means that they are more likely to become inflamed. Again, inflammation is uh, kind of precedes cancer production, and also they are more likely to to shift from a way to produce energy using oxygen to fermentation. So it will then ferment sugar instead of oxidizing using the mitochondria. So we do wanna keep oxygen levels at, at a good place And also it as a kind of a visual as to what's going on throughout the body, you know, the, the health of cell wall membranes throughout the body. So as we're uh, working uh, systemically nutritionally, systemically, uh, and we are seeing how the blood picture changes, we can then assume that there are similar positive changes that are taking place throughout the whole body. And uh, so it becomes a good visual as to you know where uh, an individual is in their health, and you can also then look at the white blood cells, like the natural killer cells. You know we're talking about looking at the quantity and then also looking at their activity, and, and so you can actually visually get to see how many are there. Do are there any natural killer cells? Are there any white blood cells? Or is this person's immune system quite suppressed, leaving them very vulnerable for uh, cancer just to move forward? Or do they have you know, a good amount of natural killer cells, white blood cells? And are they very active? And you can actually look at them there in the sample to look at their you know, how active and how engaged they are in killing off uh, things that shouldn't be there. You can also look at a number of other things you can see, you can see liver activity. Uh, You can see also if there's a lot of fibrin in the blood. Uh, You can see if a lot of toxicity, uh, chemicals, uh, how you're also, if there's a lot of infectious agents like mold, fungus, uh, bacteria, parasites, and all these things are going to have a very negative effect on the immune system. And so if you see them in the blood, you're then able to take measures to address that. If you don't know, you can't, don't know what to do. So it is very good to get that picture. Another test that we do is that it's called the oxidative dried blood test. You know, so what that is that we take blood drop, yes, you know, and we actually do several on just a little slide and we allow that to dry for about a minute. And then we look at it under the microscope. And, uh, and there we can then see the oxidative stress of the tissue. If a person, you can also actually almost stage an individual as to where they're at in the progression of cancer disease, because uh, more oxidative stress uh, means that now the individual probably not going to have a good outcome unless we do something really drastic. And we know that permanent oxidative stress, for instance, during chemo, is responsible for tumor growth and metastasis invasion from chronic inflammation uh, that chemo and radiation is actually causing. So here we're using these therapies and we're using that to, to kill cancer cells. But with that, we're then causing oxidative stress which will then promote inflammation, which will then promote metastatic invasion and tumor growth. So we can then then during therapies like chemoradiation, we can then monitor and see kind of where how the level of oxidative stress in the blood. And then again, you know, by knowing, you can then take measures to, to work on adjusting that. And we know that this oxidative stress, talking about the natural killer cells. And suppresses them. I mean, it suppress suppresses their function and also this oxidative stress. I mean, we mentioned that it can come from chemo, radiation, but things like physical trauma and physical psychological stress and depression, anxiety, surgery, excessive air travel. If you fly a lot, you know, you're going to have more. And nutritional deficiencies, heavy metal toxicity, chemotherapy, radiation that I mentioned, and just normal aging. So all these things can trigger oxidative stress. And as I mentioned, permanent oxidative stress is responsible for tumor growth and metastatic invasion. You know, so it becomes really, really important to make sure that we can then monitor that. And with this oxidative dried blood test and that we do, that is possible. So that is, that's a very exciting feature in regards to that. And then we come then to tests that are even a little bit harder to, uh, to acquire. One is uh, P- testing your P53. You know, P53 is a tumor suppressor gene and that serves as our protection against cancer. And uh, the role of P53 is to uh, monitor your DNA. And if uh, damage is detected in your DNA, you know, this uh, P53 then triggers a repair mechanism And if repairs are unsuccessful, it then signal apoptosis or signal that the cell, we can't save the cell, so now it needs to die. And uh, also what's interesting with the P53, so that huge important role uh, in regards to cancer because we know cancer, it doesn't want to die. So uh, it doesn't have that cell death switch. So a dysfunctional P53 will then make it so that the cell death switch does not kick in. So the cell won't die and cancer will continue to survive and thrive. And uh, also something that this P53 gene does, it modulates immune checkpoints, regulators, that kind of act as brakes on the immune system. So it it monitors these, these regulators to make sure that the immune system does not get impeded, or you know these brakes don't get activated, so uh, this is part of what's called the this new field of immunotherapy, but there they use toxic chemicals to go after these regulators instead of uh, natural agents that uh, can be used and that you know we use at our center, and also something that the p fifty three gene does it can modulate the Uh, the microenvironment of the tumor that the cancer cells use to grow and expand. So tumor by itself, it really can't do much unless it uses these different growth factors from its environment. So uh, the P53 gene helps to modulate that environment, which then obviously makes it harder for a cancer cell to grow or to replicate if the uh, P53 gene is very active. So uh, a dysfunctional then P53 gene, it enhances the production of inflammatory cytokines that in turn that promotes uh, tumor growth and leads to immunosuppression. So we want the P53 gene to function very, very well. So the cancer cells and with these mutated P53 uh, genes or proteins are damaged by chemotherapy. Uh, but not destroyed. So we have done these uh, when the p53 gene is dysfunctional, is mutated. So then the chemotherapy goes after the cancer cells. And but when the p53 gene is not functioning, the cancer cells don't die. They are damaged, but not destroyed. So they then continue to divide, and each time with more damage, more mutation and they develop much more resistance. You can see how important it is that this p53 gene is functional and healthy while you're undergoing chemotherapy, otherwise you're not having a good outcome. So reactivating then this p53 uh, gene to its normal function is is then considered to be a really important goal of any kind of anti-cancer treatment to increase and uh, apoptosis during chemotherapy, and it's been shown that tumors with this intact p53 gene regressed during. So tumors, you know, then regressed much more with the treatment of chemotherapy, and tumors then with defective or mutated p53 gene continue to grow uh, because the cancer cells were resistant to cell death or apoptosis. So p53, you know, if you have the ability to test that, test how many of the the healthy ones versus what's called wild and also mutated. So you don't want the wild and the mutated; you want the healthy ones. You know, so that that's that's what you want. And a couple of other things to to test. One is called Bax, and the other one is called Bcl-2. And uh, you want to kind of check that Bax versus Bcl-2 ratio. And you want to have more Bax than Bcl two. Bax is a gene that works to trigger the me- mechanism of apoptosis, while the Bcl two is an antagonist, you know, increasing the resistance of cancer cells to die. And uh, so it's kind of like you know the Bax is a, a key in a lock, and the Bcl two jams that lock. You know prevents Bax from Key, being able to go into the lock and uh, to turn on the apoptosis. So BCL kind of jams that process. So these are just a number of tests that uh, can be really useful. And as I mentioned, it is scary when you're dealing with cancer because there's always that level of unknowing and then to have something that you can look at and follow while you're going through treatment or post-treatment, or if you just want to kind of check and make sure if you're a healthy individual and you want to double-check to make sure that there's nothing that you should be concerned, at least knowing uh, that you should be concerned of. Obviously, there are are a bunch of other tests that you can do, but this is a really good start. Uh, I think you get a lot of mileage out of these tests. There's also one thing that we do, (laughs) I apologize, and that is to test then your genetics. And uh, so there are certain genes that relates to how healthy or how able you are to maintain health. And so if we have dysfunctional genes, that means that you are not able to control inflammation as well. You're not able to detoxify as well. You're not able to produce energy. And uh, so... All these processes, your ability to move toxins out, your ability to control inflammation, and your ability to produce energy within the cell are crucial to maximize your outcome uh, when you're dealing with cancer. But even if you're then wanting to reduce the risk of getting cancer, healthier genes or healthier functioning genes will improve your chances. And So there's the test that we use at our center and I like it because it's very user-friendly. It is not that complicated. It's just a little cheek swab that that we do. And uh, then you send that into the lab and then uh, we get the results. And then there's a product that is created and that is unique to you after you receive the information about what part of your genetics code that are dysfunctional did I get it both from mother and father, or just from one parent and the test or a product is created that you can then take to maximize your uh, genetic function, considering these dysfunctions that you have or genetic SNPs, that they call it that you have. So this, as, as I mentioned, these are great tests to do. And uh, yeah, I highly suggest that you look into them and ask your doctor run them along with you know, maybe other tests that uh, your medical doctor and oncologist feel are important. But uh, I think this is a good start. The information this podcast is for educational purposes only and it's not designed to diagnose or treat any disease. I hope this podcast impacted you as it did me. Please subscribe so that you can be notified when new episodes are released. There are some excellent shows coming up that you do not want to miss. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please take a moment to write a review. And please don't keep this information to yourself. Share them with your family and friends. You never know what piece of information that will transform their lives. For past episodes and powerful information on how to conquer cancer go to integrativecancersolutions.com. If you would like to know more about the cutting-edge integrative oncology therapies my center offers, please visit thecarlfeltcenter.com. Thank you for spending this time with us, and I hope to see you at our next episode of Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl